Today on Sexually Woke with Dr. Susan, I'm speaking with Meg Ellis, fitness professional and life coach with Phoenix 8 Consulting in Houston. This is part one of a two-part series with Meg. We're talking about resistance, trust, and fear. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Sexually Woke with me, Dr. Susan. And I'm so excited this week to have my dear friend, Meg Ellis, with me. So Meg does so many things, um, but I met her because she's a soul cycle instructor, not just a soul cycle instructor, but the best one. I think I've done over 150 classes with Meg. And she's also a life coach. She teaches Enneagram-based coaching through her own company called Phoenix 8 Consulting here in Houston. So hi, Meg. Thanks for joining me. Hi. I'm so excited. We've been talking about this for weeks. So yeah. it's here. I know. It's so fun. And I want to pick up on something that I've heard so many people ask me about, and I talk about this all the time which is what is the correlation between physical exercise? So I do these crazy things. So do you. Meg teaches Legree and SoulCycle and is also a life coach. So what's the correlation between like physical activity and pushing ourselves past our limits physically and then how we transfer that into creating just a life of more happiness and fuller aliveness and less resistance, more trust, less fear. So uh, Mike and I were talking before this, and we have so many things we could talk about, but really wanted to talk about these um, ideas around resistance, trust, which is maybe the opposite, and then fear. So that's a lot. Sounds kind of witchy. It's a lot. It can be scary. It sounds a lot. It's okay. But uh, So how does this work for you? So you're a soul psycho instructor. So I go to your class, and I do your class, and it's super fun. And it could just be that, right? It could just be 45 minutes of fun. And it is, but it's so much more than that. So I wanted, let's talk about this resistance idea. Because, you know, when you do spin class, there's a knob, and you can turn it up, and you can make it harder, and that's resistance, and you can turn it down. And so that could just be that, right? But I get so much more out of it than that. So tell me how that works for you. Like, what's your idea about resistance and how that translates into mm-hmm. our lives? Oh, I mean, yes, of course. There's there's so many correlations between the physicality of a workout relating even to just the mental side of it. Um, if if you've never been to Soul Cycle or any type of indoor cycling class, you have a bike and you do all the fun things like the body rolls that we do and the choreography and you're dancing on the bike the whole time. But a big, huge part of it, especially at Soul Cycle, is the resistance knob. And it's something that's under your control. You can turn it up whenever you want. You can turn it down whenever you want. And that's kind of the point. You know, it is under your control. And you are encouraged in that environment to take control of your resistance. And it's something I think it's it's scary for people um, to take control of their own lives, yeah, um, just even sure. even realizing that they have the ability to do that. But um, one of the things, if if you're one of my, we call them Meg Regs, but um, <laughs> which you are, you definitely are. I didn't even know that's what it was called. But well, I, you're a Meg Reg girl. Okay. You are. Cool. I know, right? It's kind of fun. But um, one thing I always say is at the beginning of class. You know, I'm going over the resistance knob and I encourage people, you know, say it out loud, put it into the physical universe, say it out loud. I will add too much resistance. Mm-hmm. And then everybody says, I will add too much resistance. And then at some point in time, they'll know when that moment is. I'm going to add too much. 
why? Why would I do that? Why would I willingly put myself in a place where I could potentially fail? Well, let's relieve a little bit of the pressure of it. What do you think could happen Mm -hmm. if you tried something that you've never done before and you didn't fail? Or even if you did and you tried it again and the next time you got a little bit better and then a little bit better and then a little bit better. And the more you do it, the less scary it is. Yeah. So I so resonate with that idea because I personally have experienced and I know other people live in this space, too, that we're doing such a small fraction of what we're capable of or what mm-hmm. our what our capacity is. And I talk about living in our full aliveness all the time. So we have this idea that I can't I can't do so. I have, I have people who tell me I can't do soul cycle. I like to invite friends like I can't do that. It's too hard. I'm like, it's really not. It's only as hard as you make it. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you can go 500 times like some of us do. <laughs> and you can always make it harder. It never, it, you know, you, you control the resistance. So there is that element of letting go of other people controlling you. And in that space, you're totally in control. And you can play with this idea of getting outside of your comfort zone that we talk about all the time. Like if you're in your comfort zone, by definition, you're comfortable, Mm -hmm. but you're not growing. I mean, I know everything inside that comfort zone. I can't learn anything new if I stay in there. So you can go to SoulCycle. You can do an Ironman. You can do a marathon. Whatever pushes you outside that comfort zone and learn how to experiment with being uncomfortable mm-hmm. and growing. So it's kind of like a practice ground for life. It is. It is. Because, you know, somewhere along, you know, the line of things, we have been trained to fear failure. Mm. And what type of environment trains us to not fear that, to kind of untrain our brains on that? Why not encourage you in a safe, you know, physical setting Let's just experiment here. Let's take the pressure off of failure or whatever you think failure is. um, And let's just play around with it. Let's alleviate the pressure of quote unquote failure and just let's just see what we can do. Let's just have an air of curiosity fuel us instead of fear, you know, where could I add this resistance up? Maybe. Let's just see what I can do. You Mm. know, let's just see what we can do. Yeah. So the, the site, the curiosity is such a great word. So mm-hmm. I love that idea because I'm a doctor and I was raised in this environment and culture where you had to be sure about everything. You know, physicians are the worst, especially surgeons. I can tell you, like, we're just told you got to know everything and you got to be right about everything. So there's not much room for curiosity, but just stepping out of that space. And I like the idea of having a beginner's mind. That's a Buddhist concept. Like approach everything like you're a beginner. You're curious. You don't mm-hmm. really know. And if we lived our whole life like that, there's so much more possibility. And so, you know, we talk about this all day about being open to possibility. But coming back to what that looks like in your workout, whatever type of workout you do, why is it that we don't try? You know, how many of us go to the gym and do the same thing over and over? And we're not getting results. We're mm-hmm. like, or the one of the most common complaints I hear is I'm gaining weight. I'm not, you know, I'm in this rut, like a plateau with my weight and muscle. We're not trying anything different. Um, And going back to this resistance word, we're not cranking up our resistance. And I don't know if I'm still not quite putting this together. I know I did. At one time in your class, I was like, oh, I got it. Like what this means. What does that mean as far as resistance in our mind towards getting outside our box? Mm -hmm. Like they kind of go together. They do. They do. 
and it, I, I think it goes back to just curiosity again. And we've been trained to not, not do that because failure, ugh, even the word just blah, it's a bad word. We're, we're trained that it's not good when really how many amazing things have come from failures, you know, mm. 99 times you fail 99 times, but then something happens one time, but somebody, you know, put the effort in 100 times to do something, you know, nobody ever talks about the 99 failures. We talk about the one success, but what was learned along the way in those 99 failures? You know, we need to talk more about that. And we have a resistance in our minds to fail. Mm, that's true. Yeah. Which is just, that's just old conditioning. I, mm -hmm. I mean, I get from you know, the part of our brain that's still just programmed to survive. Like we don't want to die. Like, so now, now we, that's not probably going to happen, right? You're not going to die in soul cycle. You're not going to die if you do a half marathon or whatever your 5k, whatever it is that you're thinking that you're not good enough to do. You're not going to die. I mean, you, you might sprain a muscle. Yes, that has happened <laughs> to me. But Especially that's... <laughs> to you. You, yeah, you always got something. I do. <laughs> you know why I always have something injured? Because I push myself and, um, I'm kind of proud of my injuries. But here yeah. you are yeah, in one piece. <laughs> hasn't killed me. You know what? Something you should know about me. I did run a full marathon on a broken ankle. Oh, yeah. It was also my last marathon that I ran, <laughs> but it got me into cycling. So it worked out in the end. Yeah. So we don't recommend running a full marathon. A no. broken ankle, just saying. But, um, you know, these are just little snippets of how we, we have these ideas about what we can and cannot do. And they're just stories, mm -hmm. you know, so I think if we can, for myself personally, like if I can just hear that voice talking and not jump on the train with it, but just be like, okay, I, I see that story running again and recognize that it's trying to protect me. So we want to have a loving relationship with these voices. They're trying to help you, but they're actually not helpful. The ones that are telling you, don't go to soul cycle, don't try harder, don't turn the resistance up. Those are just old, ancient animal brain voices that are trying to help us survive. And to touch on that, I love that. I love that you talk about voices because we have so many voices in our heads. Um, everybody does. It's not weird if you're listening out there and you feel the same way. But the voices who, the voices that shape us into those thoughts, I can't do this. I'm not good enough to do this. I'll never find this. I don't deserve this. I, we get caught up in the words of what that voice says and we roll with it. We don't have time to think about it. We're comfortable in our comfort zone. It keeps us in that, our little box. So we just roll with it. But what we don't do is we don't dig deeper in that and even ask, is this my own voice talking? Mm. You know, yeah. most of the time it's probably not. Whose voice is inside of your head telling you, you can't do this? Yeah. Is it you? Yeah. And then, yeah, that's so juicy because it's like, and then who are you? Like we could talk about, it's a whole nother like long conversation. <laughs> right. but yeah. The, these, my stories and voices come from, I don't know, ancient programming and then conditioning from when mm -hmm. you were a child. And then, you know, your parents, your church, your upbringing, the media, all of these different inputs that we get. But how many of those are things that are truly in alignment with what I believe? Like, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think I talk a lot and think about it acting and speaking from like your core values. So is that really in alignment with my core values? Like, no, it probably isn't. But, you know, not to hate it out of existence. It's like, yeah, these voices are just 
they're just stories. And mm-hmm. like we got hell less stories, believe me. They're mostly fiction. I say right. that a lot. <laughs> they <laughs> so don't, don't exist. Don't get so attached to them. Right. But yeah, so yeah, maybe you can um maybe you can listen to those and not jump on the train with them. Just be like, oh yeah, okay, I hear that. And guess what? It's not true. So I actually mm-hmm. can. Maybe I can turn up the resistance and maybe I can go to Soul Cycle. Maybe right. I can do whatever it is that I think I can't do. Maybe it's being happy single or maybe it's jumping in full steam on a new relationship or maybe it's getting a new job or maybe mm-hmm. it's doing any kind of thing that feels uncomfortable. Well, right? And to kind of expand on that, you know, the the voices in your head thing, you know, and the stories. I love that you talked about stories because I taught myself stories all the time. And again, this is something with the resistance in our mind, just being fearful of things that we can't see yet or things that we're afraid to admit that we want or whatever it is. We, again, I'm going to say we have been trained, but we have been trained to we make up these stories that don't exist, right? Things that haven't happened yet, they don't exist. Why are we so caught up on the bad ones? We mm. think they're real. Yeah. But if you take the exact thought, a made up thing that hasn't happened yet, why don't we create good ones? The possibility, we don't let ourselves focus on the good that hasn't happened yet because we're so focused on the potential bad that can happen. But, you know, your your mind is going to go, you're, you're going to look, let me rephrase this, you're going to find what you look for, you That's know? That's right. Oh, yeah. So mm-hmm. if we train our brains, retrain, untrain, whatever we got to do, to instead expect good things is what I always say, expect good things, see the potential story that doesn't exist yet, but make it a good one. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So this is such a great saying and Meg says it in all of her classes, expect great things and they will happen, which actually is true. Like this might sound like crazy tree hugging witchcraft, but there's a- (laughs) I'm into that. (laughs) Well, me too. And so I write about this in my book and sexually woke, there's there's all this evidence. And I, in my study, I saw it too about how life is a self-fulfilling prophecy because we've got all these things we could pay attention to. There's a billion choices. And if we pay attention to negative things and focus our minds on all the things that are going to go wrong, then our lives will follow that path. It's just, you know, where attention flows, energy goes, Mm -hmm. or I can't remember how it goes, something like that. I think that's more. I think that's it. Yeah, something like that. But where you place your attention, that's where the course of your life will follow. So there's this, uh, you know, scientifically proven neurological thing called a negativity bias, which is a survival mechanism. Going back to when we were cave people, it it was really important to focus on stuff that might kill you because that was really life threatening. And so our brains are programmed to pick up on all the stuff that appears dangerous. And to really focus on that. And we miss the good stuff, but we don't live in that world anymore. Mm -hmm. So we can train our brains to balance. It's not about living in unicorns and fairies and ignoring things that are unpleasant. It's about just seeing the whole thing. So, yeah, if you can choose something positive to focus on, why not do that, Mm -hmm. right? Because we we get to choose. You you can have a negative life or a positive one. It's completely up to you. And and if you think about it, both things equally don't exist yet, the positive right. and the negative. So let's not feel silly when we expect good things and call it being naive or 
overly optimistic or up in the clouds, it equally doesn't exist as much as the negative story that you are so tied to doesn't exist either. You know, it's, it's all the same. And, um, another thing I talk about in classes, it's not like what, even with the resistance. So we'll go back to that. You add too much and you can't do it anymore. Well, what do you do? Do you give up? Do you walk out? What do you do? No, you just take it back down. You can change your mind at any point in time and decide what you want to do. Yeah. That's, and I love this idea. Like I, uh, I've lived my whole life. I'm a human you know, we're human, Mike's mm-hmm. human too, believe it or not. But, you know, we all have this negativity bias. So I, I've experienced moments where I, I, I'm like, oh, shit, I, that's like, I don't want to turn it up because I've got 30 minutes left in the class. And you're doing all this negotiation with yourself. And again, this isn't about soul cycle. It's about how we live our lives. But yeah, you turn it up too much. It's not a permanent commitment. You can always turn it back down. Mm-hmm. So in your life, whenever you're stepping outside your comfort zone, you're not married to it. You can go out and come back and go out and come back. And you want to keep a comfort zone. That's a really nice place to be comfortable. So you're not leaving it permanently. You know, you go out the nest mm-hmm. and you come back. Or one thing I, I like to think about is your your comfort zone. It evolves just as you evolve. You know, going back to the whole plateauing thing or coasting through life kind of thing. Your, your comfort zone grows as you do. So mm-hmm. you're going to constantly be you know, getting new things in your life and attracting new things and new goals, new experiences, new people, new relationships, whatever it is. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, grow. you get, yeah. So that's so great. Cause as you, I love that I, your box gets bigger. Mm-hmm. Like as you start, you know, doing little explorations outside of your comfort zone, the walls of your box will get bigger and then you've got more things that you can do and explore in your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. So your comfort zone gets bigger. So now I'm super comfortable going to Soul Cycle. I'm pretty comfortable doing a certain types of triathlon, things like that. But certain other types are still outside my comfort zone. But the, yeah. the walls get bigger. And um, I wrote about this too. And I experienced they sort of get more opaque. They're not like a black wall. They're right. more sort of see-through. So I can be like, oh, I And can. the more you try new things like that, the less scary it gets. You know, right. the first time you do anything, I mean, I can probably name 10 things that I'm scared to do right now. If you sit in that fear, you're going to do just that, sit in the fear. But just take the pressure off and come at it with a sense of curiosity. Let me just see what I can do. You know, there's no expectation here. There's no nothing I should be doing. There's no outcome I'm super attached to. Let me just see what I can do. And there's no pressure if you do it, then great, you know, and, and that's not just for soul cycle. It's not just for working out. It's, it's for anything really. Let me just see what I can do here. Yeah. So, you know, this is the sexually woke podcast. So I think about sex constantly. So when I'm just listening to what we're talking about and just everything ties together. So to me, cause I go quite a bit soul cycle and physical exercise are so related to sexual intimacy for me. And I know that might sound weird, so I don't go to Soul Cycle to pick up guys or anything like that. But it's a it's a really intimate experience where you're ex- able to express yourself and your full authenticity. So it's a great practice ground actually for relating to someone intimately, because you can be yourself, you can be silly, you can go outside your comfort zone, you can dance around and try new things. And isn't that what intimate relationships are about? Really, if we're trying to 
live in our full aliveness again. So I think it mm-hmm. all kind of ties together. Right. And it ends up always, always, always being worth it in the end. You know, I think it's one of the scariest things for me personally is, is, you know, being more intimate in relationships. Um, I'm a Scorpio too. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, we got that wall up, but it's scary. And it's so hard to make the jump into, you know, past your insecurities, past your invulnerabilities. But if you just do it little by little, just do it little tiny baby steps with other little things and just getting used to doing it. It just, it really does become less scary because you start to trust yourself more. Well, that is, you just segued right into the second word that I was wanting to talk about, which is trust. And and what I mean by that is what Meg said, like trusting yourself. And that's that's exactly how I experience it. Like the more you do these things, the more you know that I can do hard things. Like mm-hmm. I, and, I, and Meg says this a lot in her class, but just this belief that I can do hard things. So when something hard comes along, I can approach it with it that I got this feeling instead of like, oh, shit, like I'm going to fall apart. Can someone help me? Which I still have that sometimes. So it's not all the time. But like having an I got this feeling is all about trusting yourself. Mm-hmm. And you don't get that because you're born with it. You get that because you practice. Like, why do I trust myself? It's because I know I've done it before. Right. So I can do it again. And when do you trust yourself? When do you need to trust yourself? I'll rephrase that. People want, I trust myself, I trust myself, yes. But what are you doing? Are you sitting in your comfort zone, not not taking leaps, not taking, um, you know, new new things into account that you've never done before, not doing scary things? You don't actually need to trust yourself when you have all of the answers. That's not trust in yourself. Mm-hmm. Um When do you trust yourself in life? When you got a whole bunch of questions, you know? So asking yourself, you know, those questions. And that's when you trust yourself, when you don't have the answer. And so you get more comfortable asking yourself these questions and putting yourself out there and being okay with not having an answer right away. Being okay Mm -hmm. with the questions is a huge thing. Because what we do is we hop around and we're looking for answers. All we want is answers. And if we don't take the time to back it up, we end up with answers to somebody else's question. And then mm-hmm. you're like, how did I get here? You know, and in whatever situation you're in. And then you realize, I never asked my own question because I was just so desperate for an answer. So back it up. And you have to be okay with asking yourself questions and knowing hey, I don't have the answers right now, but I'm going to be okay. Yeah, that's so, so this whole idea of living in a space of uncertainty like so resonates with me because I talked about that in my book too about, you know, when we become open to possibility and start living in this whole bigger world, like we're really not sure what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And at some level, have to develop a comfort with discomfort in a right. way. Like, it, yeah, I'm, I'm outside my comfort zone a lot and it feels uncomfortable but I'm de- developing a comfort with that sensation. It's not so scary anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's kind of where all the good stuff happens, I think. And so like, kind of coming back to like this is all weaving around and it does all join together how this affects our relationships. You know, I'm talking about intimate relationships a lot. But in as much as we practice these things, like getting outside our comfort zone and trusting ourselves, even 
well, really, like Mike said, we don't have to trust ourselves when nothing bad can happen because mm-hmm. that's not really trust. That's, that's not trust. Good. That's kind of like avoidance maybe. Right. Or yeah. yeah. Trust comes into play when you're um, doing something scary. Mm-hmm. Um, so we need to practice that. So you can practice it in a safe environment, doing soul cycle or whatever physical um, event that pushes you outside your comfort zone. But to me, it's great to have physical fitness. I love that. And it's nice to have good muscles and look cute. But the that's 45 minutes a day, right? Mm-hmm. So what what are you doing the other 23 hours and 15 minutes? Mm-hmm. Like, um, how does that, how do we weave that into our relationships? Right. I like to have a little, we'll call it a mantra or some type of affirmation, some type of, you know, resonating words that someone can take from a class that you apply with, um, climbing a hill in the class or staying up out of a run a little bit longer than you think you can, or just pushing past what you know. And there, I like to incorporate some type of affirmation, whether it be, um, you know, expect good things or trust yourself or whatever it may be. But you take that and there's something that happens in your brain when you listen to that, the words, but you're also doing a physical activity and you're just thinking about it over and over. It's, you know, it's a big dark room and we're, you know, can't really see anything, but we can, but no distractions, minimal distractions. So you're just hearing these words over and over as you are accomplishing things and overcoming things physically. And for 45 minutes, you're kind of super focused on that word and everyone or the phrase or whatever we're talking about. And then it's kind of by that point in time, it's kind of ingrained in you a little bit. So you can take that with you for whatever you're about to go encounter in your daily living, whether that be something with your job or your relationship, whatever. You take that same mentality. It's a mentality thing, not just a physical thing. And you take that, okay, um, I know I can do hard things. I, I Look what happened when I added too much resistance. I took control of the situation. I was able to change my mind and I turned it back down. And the next time I added even more, I can do hard things. And I walked out of the class and it was great. It was worth it. Okay, well, you take that same mentality because now it's a part of you and you apply it to the next thing that pops up. That's hard. Okay, whoa, I didn't see this coming or what do I do now? Hey, I know I can do hard things. Yeah, and that's such a that's such a beautiful way to describe trusting yourself. And that has come up for me so many times. Like We've all had hard things happen. I'm not unique, but, you know, life is full of suffering. This is just part of what being human is. So how we approach that is completely our choice. And if you go into what I've experienced is going into something that feels difficult, um, it might be a soul cycle class, it might be a triathlon, or it might be a really vulnerable moment in a relationship or something that you really, it's hard to say to someone that you really, all these things, right? Mm -hmm. Something that feels hard with that voice saying, I got this, I, I can do hard things. We're so much better equipped to be able to manage that in a positive way that's going to work out well for all Mm -hmm. parties than going into it with fear and avoidance and resistance. And those are all other people's voices. We don't know where they came from. Right. Um, It could be a million different people's voices from whatever situation that happened to you in the past. But when you come out with something like, I can do hard things, that's your voice. Mm -hmm. And sometimes other voices don't go away, but your voice is the loudest. Your voice is the most important and if you put that time into caring for it, you know, tend to tend to it and nurture it, um, 
just like anything else, you have to nurture your own voice and you start to listen to it because it's yours and it's loud and you believe in it and you Mm. just know it. Yeah. So I like that grass is always greener where you water it idea. Mm. So, you know, you're not going to, this isn't going to happen spontaneously. So I used to think you just got wise just by getting older, but we all know a bunch of old people who are not wise or people who didn't get wiser with time. It takes intention. And that's also in my Mm -hmm. book about intention. Like we've got to be intentional about this. It's not going to happen by itself. Right. Awareness. Right. And even that is scary. Yeah. Facing things. So how do we, um, so listening to this voice, you know, we've first, like, you've got to stop. I I do anyway. Like I can't hear the voice if I'm running around like crazy all the time. And I spent probably half my life doing that on purpose. So I didn't have Mm. to listen to that voice. Oh, yes. (laughs) Sometimes the voice tells you things that are going to change your life in ways that are temporarily difficult um, on your path to your best self. Mm -hmm. Um, Meg and I have both been divorced. I mean, it's not always fun at the time. We've got to make these difficult decisions to get to who it is that we're meant to be. And for me personally, I can't do that if I don't listen to that voice. So once you can sit in a quiet place and listen to that voice, the next step is to do what it says, right? Which mm-hmm. is hard. That's the scary part. Yeah. <laughs> you think the that, um, well, I mean, it's scary even just deciding to listen to that voice, but then it's the scary part, the action. It's like, okay, now comes for the action part. And that's where the trust comes in because right. you know, nope, I got this. I can do this. And um, one thing that you had said, which I absolutely loved, I think it was on one of your podcast episodes. You said getting unstuck is messy. And I just ran with that. I love that. It's going to be messy. And that's, that's okay. Yeah. You're going to be okay with that. Yeah. This whole neat and tidy thing that we have. I mean, gosh, the way Mm -hmm. I grew up, my upbringing was so neat and tidy. There was Mm -hmm. no mess allowed. So I got that very deeply drummed into my brain. And many women my age have that too, or all ages. But yeah, I mean, you got to blow stuff up to make it come back together again. So I love this idea that life is constantly falling apart and coming back together. But if we don't let it fall apart, then it's not going to be able to come back together in its Mm -hmm. new form. If we're just holding on to this idea we have of something that's not really giving us what we need, we've got to let go of it and it's going to blow up and then it's going to come back together. That's speaking to my soul, really, because I... I hope I'm not this anymore, but I was the queen of forcing things, you know, because you feel we like control more than trust. Mm, um, you know, who who doesn't really, you know, it's, it's much easier to feel in control. But man, how many times did I go in circles just trying to force things because I was so limited on my thinking? I didn't want to trust myself. I didn't want to be open to... Um, you know, pulling apart my puzzle and then rebuilding it a different way. I said, nope, this is the way and I'm sticking with this. And then when things start to not be that way, you're like, no, I'm going to make this work. I'm going to jam mm-hmm. this square peg into this round hole and, oh, and God, make I've it work. That. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh. I'm telling you. And that is resistance. That's resistance right there. Um, kind of circling back to that. That is the resistance that we live with daily and letting things go and being okay. Again, I don't want to like leave this answer. So I'm going to force it, Hmm. you know, versus I'm going to let it go. I'm going to be okay and sit with my questions for a little bit. And I'm going to trust that everything is going to work out. And then honestly, 
your life, you know, it does unfold. And when you build it back together, it's so much more beautiful than you could have ever imagined. So just being open to that, it's, it's from someone who literally forced so many things in her life to finding that moment where you let it go. Whew, if I could give anybody a piece of advice, it'd be that just stop forcing things. They will happen. Wow. Yeah. So, oh my gosh, I've done that too. I was married for 18 years and it was 18 years of trying to stuff a square peg into a round hole. And it's so exhausting. Like it's I, exhausting. I love the idea. Someone told me this once and I love it. I think it was a triathlon trainer that I had. You have five matches at the beginning of the day of your race, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And your goal is to get to the end of the race like with half a match left. So don't burn them all out in the first five minutes. But it's like when you're trying to stuff a square peg in a round hole, it's, you've got, only got so much energy. It's like exhausting. Losing all your energy on this uh, endeavor that is never going to work. Uh, so it's just this, uh, for me, it's an inacceptance of reality. Like at some point when you can see that the hole is round and the square is square. The peg is square. <laughs> the peg is square. Yeah. <laughs> You just let it go. It's not going to work. And I'm not saying give up on relationships without trying or anything like that. We want to give our best efforts and give everything we can. But at some point, I love something Maya Angelou said I heard years ago, and I've never forgotten it. When someone shows you who they are, believe them. And that so resonated with me because I gave people second chances, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, tenth chances to Mm -hmm. be something different and that's not who they were so in context of relationships which is kind of where I live um yeah we want to be gracious and give people um grace and let them fail and give them another chance but at some point if relationships or your job or your whatever it is is just not serving you and it's repeating over and over again We've got to let go of fixating to this has got to be my job mm-hmm. or this has got to be my husband. Tunnel vision. Got to be my – I can't change it because it's telling you it's not working. And and just it's such a relief to let go of that. Like, mm-hmm. oh, my God. It is. And then you realize what voices are driving those decisions. You know, I, mm-hmm. I got married. I thought it was something that I should do. Um, I definitely stayed married because I – much longer than I should have. Because I thought it was something that I should do. Yeah, and the shoulds are my oh, favorite. The worst. And um, it's it's scary to to take away the shoulds. Because once you take away, oh, no one's telling me I should do this. Oh, my gosh, I have to make a decision on, like, on my own based on what I know, what I feel, what I want. Oh, you know? yeah. Scary. It's definitely scary. But... Um, if you can just start to listen to your own voice, it's there. It's there. You just got to listen to it. So th- I love that idea. That's so – because I really watch the shoulds too because I had so many of those. So mm. whenever I hear myself saying I should do something, I kind of like go, oh, maybe I should – that's a, a little note to myself. Mm-hmm. I should look at that a little bit. I should look at that a little bit more. Maybe I could look at that a little bit more. And that's so – I think you put that so well, like, Living in should world, it's very comfortable because you don't have to make your own decisions. And I mm-hmm. think I, I went most of my life. I just followed a conveyor belt. Like oh, I, yeah. I, I jumped on. I did what I was supposed to do. And I went to school. I got married. I had kids. I was like on the conveyor belt. And none of that really was my own decision. Yeah. Sleepwalking. Out. Right. How many people are out there sleepwalking? Living in a trance. Not to say you might not have chosen those things, but I didn't 
choose those. I've talked about that before. Like I never, I don't remember ever choosing any of that. I, I literally just jumped on a conveyor belt. So then I woke up at some point, and that's why we call this sexually woke. And Meg's one of the most woke people I know. But that is all about trusting yourself. And like she said, making a decision from your own heart is so much harder than just letting the whole world decide it for you. But that's where all the good stuff is. That's how you get to live in your own full aliveness. And you might have to let go of a bunch of stuff that other people might not like it. Uh, they won't. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> right? So, right. Yeah. Whew. Yep. <laughs> that's that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> <laughs> other people might not like it and that's okay. Yeah. It, you, you have to like it. You have to do. Yeah. Right. It's your life. So everybody gets to make their own decisions. And if you're listening to somebody who keeps telling you that you should do something or should not do something, well, they already get to make their own decisions for them. Why do they get to make yours too? You know, and just even having awareness, I think is the biggest piece because, you know, the way I grew up was very, um, a certain way of thinking and a little bit close-minded. And I mean, I'm 34 and I still catch myself thinking, oh, I shouldn't do this. And I'm like, whoa, where did this come from? And it was I'm, something I'm I learned as a kid. <laughs> and I still do that. So it's crazy because you're yeah. like, whoa, where did this come from? This is not my voice. Um, I can do this because I want to. And it feels right to me now, you know, um, and it's you really have to catch yourself. And if you're not if you're not catching yourself, then you will live a shitty life. Um, Should, yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. Yeah. I know. I should on myself. Again. <laughs> OK, so we've talked about resistance. Oh my I've never heard that before. Talked <laughs> <laughs> about resistance in in like exercise world and in our minds and the resistance to getting outside of our comfort zone. And then trust is so important to to allow us to do those difficult things and know that we're going to be okay because I can do hard things and how how challenging it is to tune into that voice. And then the last word we were talking about was fear, which I think we touched on, but. Um, for me, like fear is mostly I have a fear of fear. And I was mm -hmm. actually reading about that um, the other day. I'm doing this. I'll talk to you all about this another time. But I'm doing this course right now called A Year to Live, which um, really quickly is just about approaching your life as if you only have a year to live. And mm -hmm. that could be the case or who knows. But uh, just making getting rid of things that you don't need anymore and and pursuing a life every day that's living in your full aliveness but we talk a lot about in this course about fear of fear when you know there's all this fear around dying and uh, i mean i don't want to talk about dying today so much it's just the fear of failure you know what i call that dread dread yes it's the yeah. worst and we sit in these situations dreading things dreading potential things that don't exist yet mine and we sit in this dread and we do it willingly because we're comfortable there. And um, man, until you actually take the leap a couple of times and you realize, and, you know, let's say, let's say you are dreading something, you're fearing something, and then you sit in it and it eats away at you and have, you have this angst for however long you sit into it until you finally make the decision to do something about it, right? And then it works out one way or the other, right? You will be always be okay. And then you're like, you ever do that where you're like, why did I sit here for so long, months, just dreading this? And then it ended up fine. Such a waste of time. Oh. I'm, I'm, I've wasted so much of my time living in fear 
of mm-hmm. something that was never going to happen. And so I think if we remember, again, that voice is trying to help us. Like the the, I, the fear of bad things in the future is all just the survival voice trying to protect us. But we don't live in that caveman world anymore. We can let that go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have teenagers. I'm trying to teach them this all the time. They, you know, one of my girls was talking to me the other day about, you know, she's like, constantly fearful about COVID. Like she's like, and for, this is like a whole nother topic, but so many people have been so terrified by this past year and fear of getting sick or fear of losing their job or fear of everything. And um, it's been a real playground for me to work in with this idea of fear. And then coming back to, again, how, how does this, how can we play in that playground with exercise class? I can do stuff that makes me scared and practice being scared in in Meg's class, like turning it up too mm-hmm. high or going three times in one day or just stuff yes. like that. Or um, what Dr. Susan just did, was it si- 60, 60 classes, classes in, 60 days? in 59 days? Yeah, yes. Like, like crazy. Yeah, but that's scary. And uh, but, yeah, I can practice being scared in a safe environment. And then when something practice really does being scared. scare me. Then I realize um, it's okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, I think also people are waiting for a sign or waiting for the fear to go away to make a move. I know I've definitely been there. And I think one of the biggest awareness pieces that I've had in the last couple of years, ever since I've honestly started thinking and, and feeling for myself and listening to my own voice, is sometimes the fear doesn't go away and you're going to have to start it anyway, even when you're scared. And that's okay. We have been, who, who told us not, not to do that? Um, somebody did, but it's okay to start things when you're still scared. Don't wait until you expect to not be scared at all to try something because that thing is probably not for you then. If it doesn't scare you a little bit. Yeah. Well, you're not growing, right? Cause mm-hmm. that goes back to that. You're the comfort if, zone. Yeah. You're in your comfort zone. And so, yeah, totally be scared. Like, right. I mean, I'm not recommending putting yourself in physical danger. We want to no. use wise judgment about what we're doing, not, not do things that endanger us or our families or anything, obviously, but right. use your discernment for sure. <laughs> most of what we're talking about is, is fear of things that are not real. It's not, it's mm-hmm. emotional fear. It's not fear of anything that could really happen to you. I promise you, soul cycle, you're not actually going to get hurt. I mean, maybe your legs will be sore the next day, but you're not going to break your neck or have it. Nothing terrible will happen. Same in most of the things that we anticipate doing, you know, if you want to change a relationship or change a career, like the chances are really high that the thing that you're fearing the most is not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And if it does, that's okay too. Um, I love Meg has another saying, if you live life with intention, you either get what you want or you'll get something better, which I super love. And I talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Sometimes what we think we want we don't have a concept of what that even is. I mean, you might not get that. Maybe the relationship doesn't work out or that new career doesn't, isn't mm-hmm. the, what you thought, but something better will happen. Right. I am living. The only way to get what you want or something better is to go for it. You That's know, right. I'm living a something better life right now. And it happened by just taking risks. Um, just to back that up. Smart. Like, you know, not. Yeah. And safe one, yes, yeah. calculated and well thought out, you know, risk. But um, yeah, you, you just have to make the jump. You have to you have to do it. And we talk ourselves out of risks. And something that um, if you're familiar with Tim Ferriss, he's a mm. 
he's an amazing author, but he wrote the four hour work week. And uh, this is actually when I, what, three, four years ago, I was working a full time nine to five. I didn't want to do it. I was dying a slow death every single day, miserable, wasting my time, wasting my passion. And I was not being fulfilled on a daily basis. And I just felt like I was coasting through life and kind of wasting time away where it's like, oh my gosh, it's already 3 p.m. I haven't done anything today, you know, a sense of fulfillment in my job where it's already, you know, I'm, I'm 30 years old and, or whatever it is, you know, that people, milestones that they freak out about. But I had started reading this book, The 4-Hour Workweek, and it, Tim breaks it down to this when it comes to risk. Think about the best case scenario. What do you want? You know, at the time, what I wanted to do, I wanted to quit my job. And um, I wanted to become a full-time fitness instructor, and I wanted to dedicate time to writing my book. Okay, imagine that best-case scenario. Well, out of 10, what is that? Well, that's a 10. That's a 10 for me. That's my ideal life, right? Or it was at the time. I've now outgrown my dreams, which is amazing, but you only do that if you keep doing it. But um, So then you assess the risk. Assess the risk. Okay, um, what needs to happen for you to quit your job and – um, become a full-time fitness instructor. Well, I need to like quit my job and take a pay cut and yada, yada, yada. Okay. Well, worst case scenario, like what would you need to do if that didn't work out? Well, I would just have to go back to working my nine to five. Okay. You can always go back. What's the risk? Well, honestly, I I put it as a two to be dramatic, but it was really just the one. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. but it comes down to like, let's call it a two. Why are you risking not getting your 10 for a two? Yeah. And then that just, ever since I heard that, it's something I use in my, my coaching with people. I'm like, well, imagine this. Okay. What's the risk? Let's put that number on it. Why are you risking your best case scenario, your life that you want, where you feel alive and awake and you're living your passion and you're with people who you love and you love yourself? Like, why are you not going after that? Why? What's the risk? Assess the risk and it starts to put that into perspective of, no, I, I got to have this. It's, I can always change my mind. Yeah. And you can do that if you've learned to trust yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and you can learn to trust yourself by practicing with resistance. So it all kind of ties together. Um, so, you know, you can talk to Mike. We're at the end of Mike's time here, and we're going to carry this on to part two because we've got much more to talk about. Mm, so but, much. <laughs> um, yes. So um, if you like this kind of conversation, so Meg is a, a coach, so she can work with you and talk about these ideas with you personally. So how do how do people do that? How do people reach out to me? Yeah. How do they find you to get this well, stuff like one-on-one? Because it's um, so important. This will change your life. It is. It is. Um, and a lot of it is we just – really address awareness. And I do that through, I do Enneagram based coaching. So it's, it's a personality test, but, um, I do that through my company, Phoenix eight. So it's, um, just Phoenix eight consulting.com or, um, my Instagram handle is let's create your fate. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Enneagram, E N N E A G R A M Enneagram coaching is something I do too. And, uh, Meg does more of it than me. But uh, many of us have done tons of different personality tests, and they're all valid in different ways. But I totally 100% believe this is the most useful one. Mm-hmm. So um, just do oh, – I love it. You can go online and do an Enneagram test, but we've, we've got better ones, and Meg has better ones. And once you know, I'm an 8. Yeah, an eight. And I am a 7. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I'm a 7-wing 8. 
And I think I'm an eight wing seven. Yeah, that's why we get along. Yeah. <laughs> so you guys could do your own test and that those numbers don't much mean anything to you until you've studied a bit. It's so helpful. It changed my life. So mm-hmm. if you want to kind of dip your toes in how to do these things, you might be sitting at home thinking, oh, I can't do that. Like These are like women who do stuff that I can't do. That is just BS. We're regular oh people. Gosh. We've, yes. We've done all kinds of, we've had divorces. We've had jobs that changed. We've had all the things that you've had. Yes. And anyone can do this. It's not something limited mm-hmm. to people that have a podcast or people right. that we're just regular people. Anything in your mind that you say, oh, I can't do that. Rephrase the thought and say, what would happen if I did? Mm-hmm. I love that. And that idea. What was that question? I can't remember. I said, uh, Meg and I were talking the other day, who would I be mm-hmm. if I let go of that limiting belief? Which I, this is, oh. I didn't invent. It was a teacher told me that. Like, who would I be if I dropped that limiting belief that I can't do that? And just imagine who you could be, like, if you drop that belief. So these are the kind of things you can work with Meg one on one to explore. And, um, it's all about just living in your full aliveness. So, Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, and my gosh. Of course. It's been so fun. We're going to have to continue this with part two because we've got a whole list of topics we didn't even get to. I know. So we'll, we'll um, see you soon or talk to you soon and um, jump in on part two. Awesome. With thank Mike you Alice. so much. Mm-hmm.